Okay, so tonight we're joined by Dan Harris, assistant head coach of Seoul Leland FC. Hi, nice to see you guys. Yeah, welcome Dan. Thank you, nice to be here. Welcome, welcome Dan. So, yeah, but as we said, we just want to have like a kind of little chat about your time in Korea. Okay. Uh, go through some like very, like, you know, important questions, you know what I mean? Like, um, kind of find out what you think, of the, the, the differences, the comparisons, having worked in Scotland, uh, England and so on, yeah. And I think like the number one question on, on everyone's lips is, do you like kimchi? Do I like kimchi? Yeah, it's, it's an acquired taste, and, I, and I'm growing <laughs> growing to like. I'm not sure I'm ever full passionate enough with it, but um, yeah, it's, I think we're, we're adjusting slowly to the, the food over here and the way things are being done. But yeah, I've, I've tried it, and it's um, yeah, it's a, an acquired taste. And that's like the important question. That's the question that I think every foreigner in, in Korea gets asked. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right, but yeah, so it, it's not quite. They, do, do you think? I mean, they claim it's the healthiest food in the world. Obviously, working in that kind of field, do you believe that's even remotely um, true? I think it, as part of a balanced diet, there's a, there's a role for it. Certainly, um, it's interesting because our lads. I mean, it's served as part of the menus that we provide for the lads, um, along with all the other kind of traditional Korean food. Um, some lads eat it, some don't, you know. So yeah. Do I think it's the healthiest food in the world? I think there's a little bit of marketing involved there, probably. But, um, yeah, I, given, given some of the things I've seen lads eat back home, um, yeah. it's, it's a better choice than some of the choices the guys make back home, let's put it that way. Should Wayne Rooney be tucking into it on a Saturday morning before the match? <laughs> I think Wayne Rooney and Kimchi, uh, uh, they operate in different worlds. So <laughs> Maybe put some hair on his head again. I uh, and of course, like uh, so, if you can tell us, obviously, what's your what's your favourite episode of the podcast? Dan? Um, I've read the blog. I'll be honest with you. I've <laughs> I've, I've, lear- I've learned pretty quickly in this game that you, the fans are what drive the game, and the game the game exists for the fans. You know, people talk about kind of the status of a game and the status of players, and the fans are the single most important people in any club, and always will be. Um, and I think maybe over the last few years in some countries, some clubs have lost sight of that. Um, so I think. The, one of the huge benefits of the social media kind of, I guess, revolution of the last few years is that fans are now more actively involved than they ever were before. They've got better access than they ever have done mm. to players and staff they've ever before. But also, they're more knowledgeable. I think that's the important thing that but I, I've certainly had to learn and adapt over the last few years, that fans have now got access to data and to information streams that previously would have been just available to, um, I guess, to staff, you know. So, um, I've dodged the question, I know. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it also, it's great that you've seen, you've seen these kind of podcasts. Great, actually, from, as, a, as a, I guess, a foreigner coming over, over to the career, it's great seeing the fact that actually there are a number of expats yeah. who have got a real, not just an interest and a passion for the game over here, but a real insight as well, you know. So, obviously, you guys and I mean, three or four other guys that I follow on Twitter and and it's been helpful for me even before I came here, just trying to get a flavour for yeah. what the game's like over here. So, yeah, I know from, just from a purely personal point of view, it's great having that kind of resource out there, you know. So I guess the answer is, this, this will be the first episode. And probably the last. Followed by a lawsuit hitting the door. <laughs> uh, you mentioned there about the fans. I mean, I, I, mean, I know that um, Eland, they at the beginning of the season, they were kind of, there was a lot of talk about them um, you know, they're going to be a club for the fans, yeah. they were going to listen to the fans, uh, then they brought out that leopard print top. Um, do you think, like, I mean, um, yeah, I'm have happy. they really kind of listened to, to the fans? Yeah, I'm just, it's a great question, especially the context time of it now. We, um, we actually sat down with some fans yesterday as part of our end of season kind of um, 
not awards necessarily, but we, we basically did an event for the fans mm. who'd been to every home game. So the founders, the people who'd been involved right from the start, any founder that had been to any every single home game this year, we put an event on for them yesterday where they came to a venue in Gangnam. We had a meal together with the players and the coaching staff. They, we had a very informal awards ceremony as part of that. They watched a movie together and then we mm. sat at the end and did a, like a question and answer at the end. And, and sitting around with the fans at the end of it, I think the first thing to say is, is that for a brand new club that, that isn't a Phoenix and the Flames club in terms of there's no remnants of, it, of older clubs that we were building on, it was a brand new expansion franchise. Um, not identifying one specific part of the city either, or a town, for example. Yeah. The, the guys in the front office have worked really hard to try and engage with the fans, and to have a, I think we had the second highest attendance in the average attendance in the Challenge League this year. You know, which that's testament to the hard work that was put in, but most importantly, testament to the fact that fans have taken a real punt. You know, to to, yeah. to throw your weight and your support and your finances behind a team that never existed before, and to be on that journey with us has been great. And. And there's been some some things we've got wrong as a club, no doubt. Um, there's been some things that have been a real success as yeah. well. You mentioned the kit. I, my my first reaction when the kit came out was probably similar to a lot of people's, which is I've never seen anything like that before in my life. Yeah. Uh, particularly the pink goalkeeping kit was, uh, was special. And yet the, the irony of it is, is that obviously halfway through the year when the the New Balance deal officially kind of came on on board officially and became formalised, and we then switched the kits halfway through the year. What was really interesting is speaking to fans; they'd almost look, come come to love the kit. I'm almost saying we missed the leopard print. Yeah. And actually, if you look at the the, the the kind of playoffs at the end, the club made a decision to go back to leopard print just for a one-off game at the end as a response to fan yeah. requests. You know, so yeah, it's unique certainly. Um, I think Eland is a fashion brand initially as well. That's obviously its weird. Yeah. So I can understand why they wanted to make a statement from that point of view. So I'm um, unfortunate the training kit's not leopard print, so I, I'm not aware that. Anymore. But I, it's funny from a personal point of view. I've actually learned to love the kit. You know, it's been great. Can I ask how many uh, how many fans were at the event yesterday? So how many yeah, so it's an invite-only event. So in terms of the numbers, I've had about 100 fans who'd come to every home and away game who were at that event, and of that, um, 80 of them were invited back out for the meal after that as well. So okay. I think our average attendance was something like just over 19,000, I think, this year, peaking obviously the first game as often yeah. is the case. But um, we, one of the things that really appealed to me at the, at the club when we, when we were chatting about potentially coming out here was that it is a club that wants to build a foundation on decent values, you know, and having worked in the Premier League for a long time and obviously up in, in the Champions League with Celtic and as well, you, you're fortunate to be a part of a huge global brand and a, and a huge well-marketed machine. And people would say the Premier League is the best in the world, that's a question of the best marketed in the world, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Um, and yet the danger with that is that there becomes a disconnect. You know, you're talking about away fans having to pay £70 to get a ticket for some of the London games now, you're talking about the cost of the game increasing exponentially year upon year. And the link between fans and players, I think, is it, beginning to be eroded, you know, and certainly there's a disconnect at Premier League level, which is why you look at some of the non-league day in the UK, for example, during the international breaks when the, the Premier League isn't, isn't mm -hmm. running, non-league clubs are encouraging Premier League fans to go and watch their local non-league team, and that's been a real huge success, and I think part of that is because fans want that connection, they want that connection with their local club or with, with someone they can identify with who they perhaps went to school with. Yeah. Or, and that's why when you look at academy players coming through the system, you know, clubs rally around academy products because it's, it's that, you know, Harry Kane is one of our own. You know, that, that those kind of chance at Spurs at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a real need across the world, but particularly in the Premier League, but also here, to try and not lose sight of that need for connection with the fans. You know? And I think the club have, have done well from that point of view. They picked up an award from the KFA to be fan friendly this year, but there's certainly a lot more we can do on that. But yeah, the fans will be central to what we do moving forward. Okay. You mentioned there that when you were talking about, about coming out, that when you were having those 
they sort of, like those initial talks. Yeah. They, like, what were you doing at that point? Like, what were you doing before you came here? Yeah, for a brief summary. So this is my sixteenth season in the game now. So um, played played through as a, as a young as a youngster and teenager. Um, career cut short by a serious long term lack of ability. Um, <laughs> did, all, all, did, did all I could <laughs> to overcome it, but it got in the way in the end. So um, yeah, I made the decision. That, as a 17, 18 year old that I wasn't going to make a living out of the game. I could make money out of the game playing non-league, I wasn't going to make a living out of it. So at that point, carried on playing non-league and then went off and went off to Loughborough and did my study sports science at Loughborough, which at the time was kind of one of the, the kind of better universities for that. Um, and really fell into the coaching side of things at that point. Um, Lucasade, a big, obviously the big brand uh, sports drink back in the UK, are owned by a pharmaceuticals company called GlaxoSmithKline. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, w- they were doing a lot of their kind of field, a laboratory-based research at Loughborough into sports nutrition. And because I had a football background, I also conned onto that research program as a lab rat, really, just yeah. kind of grinding numbers and, and kind of taking samples in, in labs and things. Off the back of that, this was in the late 90s, when sports science as a concept was just beginning to kind of creep into football. There'd been other sports for a while. Um, and as, as a result of the work I was doing with Lucas, I was going into clubs delivering nutrition presentations and sports presentations. And off the back of that, I was asked to go into Peterborough and do some work with their players on the field. And that grew into a full-time role at Coventry. Mm-hmm. And then, Five years later, on to Birmingham, and um, it was almost a, it was, I guess, perfect storm in the sense of right place, right time. Because at that point, the guys that were heading up the sports science program for the national team had all come through Loughborough a couple of years ahead of me. Yeah. We're looking for people to come and work on their programs, so I had the chance to do some work with the international squads, um, and then in the Premier League, obviously with Birmingham, West Brom, and a couple of seasons up in Celtic. And um, when I moved on from Celtic, I then made the decision rather than going straight back down south because we love Scotland, my family. Had, Settled up there, as I'm sure you can understand, as a, as a proud Scotsman. But the, um, our family had settled up there, yeah. loved the place, you know, great environment, great community, great great um, schools, all sorts there. So we made the decision rather than rushing back down south to take the first job that was offered. I went, started working as a consultant for about 18 months. So going into clubs, working with specific athletes, mm-hmm. writing um, development programs for certain clubs and national governing bodies and things. Um, and did that for 18 months, really, so we could stay in Scotland. We then made the decision to move back down south for family reasons and. And at that point, I was beginning to get itchy feet, wanting to get back into the day-to-day training ground bit, because that's the bit that I love. I mean, the match days are great, the fans see that, but the reason why I'm not a big fan, I've got no ambitions of wanting to be a manager, no ambitions of wanting to be in the spotlight, you know, what what, what lights a fire and a minute ignites me is the work we get to do through the week, you know, the day-to-day training ground, Mm. having an impact on helping young men improve as men and players, you know. So then looked at a number of different options. that we, we were looking at going to work abroad, we fancy an adventure, similar to you guys. Um, looked at three or four different options, explored China, had an opportunity to go to work at a club in China, spoke to three or four people, then made the decision in the end for different reasons not to take that on. Um, in retrospect, I'm glad I did when I look at how that panned out at that particular place. But um, And then when this opportunity was presented to us, and I was chatting with Martin initially, and then flew out here with my wife to chat with the guys behind the scenes, I think what appealed to me professionally was it's very rare to get the opportunity to be involved at ground zero on a project, yeah. whether it's in football or any, any walk of life, where there's no baggage, there's no inherited issues or taking over from a catastrophe, it's a blank sheet of paper. And the challenge here was, can you come and play a part in building a club? Now, football fans love playing championship manager and football manager and FIFA in those games and, and part of it is the sense of that the number of people you hear tell you stories of oh yeah I took Barnet to the Champions League you know and because fans love that and ultimately I'm a fan you know I, yeah. I, I give my life to this game but I'm a fan first and foremost and the opportunity to do that for real to be involved at ground zero and play my part in building a club was one that really appealed and then when you speak to the guys behind the scenes whatever the perception of the club might be externally and I know there was some little bit of suspicion and wariness in some quarters there is a sense of wanting to do this properly, you know, a sense of actually building a club on sound yeah. values, a club that is 
looking to invest in the local community, that is looking to invest in young men and, and, and develop role models. You know, I, I've got three kids of my own. I wouldn't in, want them to be a footballer at the moment because the stories they read, especially yeah. back home, mm-hmm. are not stories <coughs> I want my kids to emulate. But we've got the opportunity here to actually write a, a positive narrative, you know. So that's really what appealed to me was the sense of being involved from ground zero, blank sheet of paper, and being involved in a club that's built on sound values, that values the input of fans, that wants to have a bit of integrity about the way it does things, you know, and that, that appealed to me because those characteristics are not as common in football as they yeah. should be, you know. So, had you met Martin previously? Like, I mean, the, the, uh, did you know Martin from the, uh, your time in football? Yeah, I mean, football's a small world, as you know. Yeah. So, I mean, he and I had spoken numerous, a couple, couple of times about players and our past okay. across kind of briefly. We, we, we weren't, we hadn't worked together before, we okay, hadn't yeah. spent time in each other's presence really. I knew his brother very well actually, his brother happened to be in the area of Scotland that I was living at the time, so there was a family connection there as well. Um, so no, he wasn't a guy that I'd worked with before, although we were both aware of each other on the network and had chatted and spent time together okay. before that, yeah. Uh, so what were your first impressions of Korea? Did you get met at, at, at the airport with the So Elan guy with a bunch of flowers? Yeah, we had the whole... The, Did the, you really? Love you, so, um, yeah, I mean, few things... I, I think... I was chatting with my wife last night, you know, you reflect on the, on the 12 months, almost 12 months I've been in, 11 months, and you... There's things initially that what, you can raise your eyebrows at, be thinking, I can't believe that happened. Now you recognise it's part of the fabric of society. Now yeah. you don't even blink now. So yeah. I'm sure for you guys that have been in kind of eight, nine, ten, eleven years, it's it's even more kind of oh, that's just the way we do things. So I think one one of the stories that we, we that Martin and I laugh about is that um, Tarabai, the Brazilian guy that we signed um, for, from Malta, he arrived slightly later than some of our overseas players, and he was met at the airport. The day that he arrived was the big launch event for the club at the K-pop venue in um, Seoul, Grand Children's <coughs> Park. Now this was, was a huge event where the fans were seeing the whole playing squad for the first time, you know, it was a real official launch of the club yeah. and the squad. And I mean, it was unbelievably professionally done. I mean, from what I've seen in Korea, when they, when they I can't generalise, when you get to, when they eventually pull the trigger on something and it's done, it can be done at a really high level, you know, so it was unbelievable quality. But I was laughing with Martin because we were still on this stage with probably you know, 500 fans in, in, the, in the auditorium. And Martin was on a, uh, platform trapdoor below the stage, uh. and he then emerges out of the stage with flames either side of him, like, like the opening scene of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> and I'm stood next to him thinking, if your mates in Falkirk could see you now, you know. So it was, and yeah, it was it's part of the way they do things here. Yeah. And there's just the actual components of the way things are done, you know. And and it's yeah, for me who've grown up in this kind of spitting sawdust bread and butter football, it's there's moments where you're thinking, oh, we couldn't get away with this back home. But at the same time, this is my home now. Yeah. This is the way we do things. And and yes. I think, to, to, to make a serious point, we, we, want to, we want to, as a club, Martin and myself, we recognise the fact that we're in a quite unique position. You know, there's not many overseas managers and, and assistant managers, in my case, working within the K-League. You know, it's not, yeah. it's, it, there's not many of us out there. Age-wise, we're both younger than the majority of managers in this league as well. Um, and yet, at the same time, what we, we want to be the club that says, let's take all the great things of Korean culture, all the fantastic elements of the culture, of traditional Korean culture, Use that as a foundation, but let's build a modern Korean club. You know, we're not trying to be an, an English Premier League club over here yeah. or something like that. And the club have had numerous opportunities to partner with big franchises around the world because Asia, the Asian market is attractive to, to big corporations around the world. So there's a number of clubs that have, have shown interest in getting into Asia, not just in Korea. Yeah. But Elan said, no, we want to be a Korean club in Korea, but a modern day Korean club, you know, based on the foundations of traditional Korean culture, but with the flexibility and some of the the creativity that come that you see in modern day Korea, you know, this is a country that leads the world in some areas, you know, and, and there's amazing skill sets within this country. We want to take the best bits of Premier League, best bits of MLS, 
the best bits of modern day Korean, build a modern Korean club, you know. And, and if that means doing things a little bit different and kind of having to take a deep breath when you see certain things, so be it. Mm. But yeah, I think we're very conscious of being a, a, Korean, a modern day Korean club. You know. But you mentioned it about the uh, age thing, about how the, uh -huh. you are younger. And I mean, like, you guys are, are definitely younger than most yeah. other sort of K League managers. Now, ha have you found anything? I mean, Korea is very much a kind of age, like, age conscious. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of system, you know what I mean? As we all know, I mean, have you found that it's been difficult to be taking? I don't mean taken seriously, but I mean, have you found that there's been like a, you know, like any respect issues because that you guys are younger, that like everyone else, you know, at the club is is a lot older. Have you found that, that there's been any yeah, issues? Yeah, great question. The um, I think to, to take your point, there's no doubt Korea is a hierarchical culture. Mm. You know, there's no doubt that we've seen that right the way through. I read a fantastic article earlier on that talked to, looked at a, a new Navy admiral who'd been appointed here in Korea, and um, it was a couple of years ago now, and he was talked about the young blood coming in, and he was 69. You know, yeah. so, which is great. Part of me loves the fact that actually experience is valued over here. That's great. You know, back home in the UK, we've got, <coughs> got a real issue with the fact yeah. that actually. Elderly, what we class as the elderly population are being marginalised. Actually, there's a real experience that we can tap into. Um, in terms of your question, have we had problems with it? No, not at all, because they, there's a self-confidence that we have about ourselves. That, that we we want to have a quiet humility about us that says we we back what we do. You know, we believe in what we do. We believe we can perform at a high level mm -hmm. on and off the field. We have a, a quiet confidence that comes to that. We're not going to shout it from the rooftops. We're not going to bang drums on top of the hill and say, look at us, look at us. But at the same time, we do believe in what we do. And it, and there's no problem with that at all. We've got no issue with that. And actually, I think one of the things that we want to bring into the, the players particularly is that it's okay to, to strive to be great. You know, Martin and I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in being average. You know, we've got no interest in just fitting in and being mediocre. Mm. We came here to build, to be part of building a club that goes on to be the most significant club in Asia. Now, however long that, that takes to get, we, we want to win the Champions League. You know, I, I could have carried on working in the Premier League. Martin's had numerous offers to go and work all around the world. We came here to win the Champions League. Now, we know we're nowhere near that yet. We're nowhere near that, that level, mm. but it's okay to have those ambitions. And that's not arrogance, it's not cockiness or conceit. It's a sense of, it's okay to take pride in wanting to be the best at your field, in whatever field it is that you're working in. I think, potentially, with the hierarchical system in Korea, sometimes guys who are not at the top of that tree feel they've got to almost um, keep that within themselves mm. and, and almost submit and be a bit submissive. And actually, we're saying, yes, by all means respect the traditional elements of Korean culture, the hierarchical system, we understand the way that operates. But when you cross the white line, it's a metrocracy, you know, it's everyone's equal when you cross that white line. Mm. You know, and so early on, for example, we had young lads that would, if they had a shooting opportunity, but there's a senior player square and they'd pass it square. And we yeah. said, actually, do you know what? When you cross that white line, it's got to be 11 men pulling in the same direction, equally confident in their own abilities. So we certainly haven't faced any issues from that point of view. I know there's no doubt there's been some wariness and there's some, mm -hmm. I think people around Korea and Korean football will be looking at the project generally and also Martin as a manager and saying, I'll be interested to see how that pans out. Um, okay. we, we've made some mistakes this year, as have every, every other manager. We've also learned things as well, you know, and that's going to really help us as we move forward to 2016. Uh, after matches, do you ever get together with the other managers and chat? I mean, you always hear about in the, in the UK, say, Fergie used to invite the other guys yeah. for a, a glass of wine after the match, and then you hear about other managers who have feuds, so Mourinho is famous for having a feud with Wenger or whatever. Absolutely. Is yeah. there anything like that in the... No, that, that's not part of the Korean culture, from what we can see, so the managers certainly don't get together um, after games at all. Um, Martin's worked very hard to try and be proactive and, and spend time meeting guys at the K-League end of season awards last week. He got a good chance to chat with a few of the managers there, and that was the, really the first time since the start of the season where they'd all been together <coughs> as a management group, so yeah. he certainly came away from that quite positive, having chatted to people. But yeah, it's a shame, because that actually is part 
part of the game in the UK where it's not just the managers, the, the coaching staffs get together for 20 minutes, half an hour after the game. And actually that helps to engender a real mutual respect because first you, it teaches you some diplomacy because if you've just taken a tonkin off of someone, you've got to take a deep breath and go in and sit down yeah. with their coaches, you know. Yeah. You've, got to, you've got to be a big man about that and say, well, I've got to kind of put that to one side. But actually those conversations generally are really helpful because, again, in the Premier League, there's 20 managers in the Premier League. There's 20 coaching staffs in the Premier League. There's not many of people doing that job, and actually, it's nice to get the chance to share ideas and chat yeah. with people that are facing the same things, similar things that you guys face. So, yeah, I think certainly as we, as we spend more time here, and Martin and I committed to this project for the long haul, you know, we're really keen to develop a network of people in the administration side, the management side, coaching side, performance, medical, sports science, you know, because we want to learn. We also we believe we've got some things that we can share, and we're keen to do that. You know. We're not coming here saying we're the oracle of all knowledge that have the answers to everything, but we'd like to learn from things over here and, and share ideas as well. You know. And how about the referees? Are they friendlier? I mean, are they open to banter or <laughs> um, discussions? The, or the the language obviously is still still a slight barrier from that point of view because I think I mean, you know yourself as a Scotsman, Mark, the, um Martin can be saying something very inherently neutral that in no way, shape or form is confrontational but just a Scottish bro <laughs> yes. in it, and it sounds like he's looking to kick someone's head in you know and the reality yeah. is I'm laughing because the fourth official's reacting as if to say oh, what are you saying and actually Martin's asking a very benign neutral question you know so <laughs> that's, 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 like, that's just the curse of uh, the Scottish bro but um, yeah I mean communication is an issue still because although Martin and I are working hard to improve our career and it is it's slow going as you guys know and takes some time um, yeah, the, the, I think over time you build relationships with everybody in the game, including officials, and there's officials back home in the UK that you can have a good dialogue with before, during and after the game, um, within the rules that we're allowed to do that, yeah. and yet there's also officials back home that keep your arm's length, and that's just the reality of individual personalities, you know, so, yeah, yeah I, I can't sit here and say I've got to know the referees and fourth officials here, but I think they're aware of us, there's been a few occasions this year where they're aware of us, but um, that's all part of the learning curve, you know. I think, yeah, Martin was involved in something, wasn't he, the other on in the season? He was involved in... He got sent off at one point. He sent off, didn't he? Yeah, early on. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we can sit here and talk about every decision this season. You know, this, I, I, I'm tend to, <laughs> I tend to be pretty philosophical in the sense of uh, the old cliche of things even out of the season. There's things we can control and things we can't, you know, and we felt that early on in the year there was a few decisions that were unusual, to say the least, but at the same time, it's, that's what we're on the bridge now. The reality was we weren't good enough to get promoted this year, and we're not, I'm not going to sit here and blame officials for that, you know. Having said that, when someone gets sent off for time wasting in the first minute of the second half, that's a new one on me. But yeah, <laughs> um, I haven't seen that before. But, but the same. But listen, I'm not. I'm going to sit here and talk about referees. You know, referees. Yeah. I actually have to say that the standard of officiating I've seen over here is actually a lot better than people. I think give it credit for. I mean, we can. I think some of the referees over here are at a high level. You know, and that. And that I guess we'll do your run on referees next week. Though. I guess yeah, so, yeah. I, 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 was, I was hoping that you were going to take my side here. But, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess it, it, it'll be dead easy. I mean, it, the whole discussion of referees around the world generally is a discussion we've had for years. Yeah. And I, I, I love studying other sports. You know, I'm a huge NFL fan. I'm a, I'm a huge rugby fan. I, I, some of the best things that I've learned and, and bought into what I do, I've, I've taken other sports and adapted. I still think it's scandalous that the, the world's game is still so behind other sports and issues of technology, you know, yeah. still, it yeah. astounds me. And so we sit here and, and week after week in every league in the world, referees are getting castigated. And yet they're now operating under a microscope where the fact that the fan can sit 
in a crowd and have more information about the decision that's just happened yeah. 10 seconds ago than the person who's having to make the decision. And that can't be right. You know, that, that We can't operate in a world that's so technology savvy, especially in, even in Asia where you've got this amazing technology. Yeah. And this is, not a, this is not a dig at the KFA because it's obviously a decision made by FIFA, but it still astounds me that we're behind other sports in our use of technology. You know, goal line technology only just about came in in the yeah. last 18 months, which is right. ridiculous, you know. And as a proud Englishman, Frank Lampard's got a kind of mystery goal in the World Cup still rankles, you know. Never but, happened. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, had it been around in 66, we'd have a very different discussion. Right? Exactly. But, um, but yeah, my, my point being, I think it's, it's a question for the, the, the administrators at the top of the game to say, listen, how can we have the biggest game in the world, the best finance yeah. game in the world, the most well-supported global game, and yet be behind the majority of other team sports and use technology. Now, the caveat back will be potentially guys at the top of the game who've got other things on their, pl their plate to deal with right now. But I, I, I still think that's we can't have a situation where referees are the least well-informed people in the stadium. You know, that can't be right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was that situation this season. I mean, like I know, I don't want to pressure on that one, but where I think wasn't like Eland actually scored, uh, and by the time you got to the centre circle, the referee pulled it back and said it was a. A, a free kick or something, yeah? yeah? Yeah, that was towards the end of the season. It was um, like, yeah, probably the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'll, I'll talk myself into trouble if I get into the details of that particular decision. <laughs> you know, but, okay. but my point being, I think we, as, as a game, we can do a lot more to support the officials because anyone that's refereed a game, well, even if it's a parks game or a kids game, it's only when you do it yourself, you realise actually this is not as easy as it looks. Yeah. You know? And I know myself, I've, I've refereed my kids' games and refereed games in, in training, you know, and you're thinking, flipping that, I wouldn't do this for a job, you know? And, yeah. and actually, I think anything we can do to help these guys make the correct decisions worth doing. Again, take the NFL, for example. The NFL, their review system there works really well. They've got every single game, the reviews are, are sent back to a central live feed within the league office so that questionable decisions can be reviewed by an impartial mm -hmm. official who's not at the stadium, influenced by the environment of the game, and it, within 15, 20 seconds, they'll be able, able to give a direct answer, yay or nay, to certain decisions. Now, that's a big, it's a big, if you speak to Americans, that's, they, they're, they're, they'll talk about that game as being the global game of football, but how you can be a world champion in a sport where only one team plays, I don't know. But the point <laughs> being that they actually, they've got their head around the fact that yeah. actually we can support officials in a decent way, and I think we've got to explore that option, you know. But, okay. so I guess that brings it on to, yeah, I'll say obviously um, the season's just finished. Yep. Uh, so Leland came fourth in the league in the end, and yep. then lost narrowly in the playoffs. Yep. Um, what would you say is your highlight for the season? Yeah, great question. Really. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I sit here now as a, as a man of Sydney, I've got no interest in being average. Now, my overriding emotion from the season is disappointment because we came here to, to win the league initially <coughs> and we came here to get promoted into the Classic League. Now, everybody, no one at the start of the season thought that was even possible, you know, and maybe they were right to think that, but internally, that, that's the, the standards we set for ourselves. You know, Martin and I and, and the other coaching staff and, and as a playing staff, we internally set out to achieve that goal. Now, the reality of it is, is that that hasn't we haven't achieved that this year. But what we have done is laid a real strong foundation. And Martin and I are now far better equipped at understanding of this game. And Martin, Martin's the manager, I assist him, you know. But that sense of we're better equipped now than we were 12 months ago. There's been some amazing highlights, you know, this year. I think if if, if you just said to people outside of the coaching staff, right, your first season you'll end up. Now, second biggest attendance in the league, scoring over 70 goals in, in a league where traditionally people don't score goals. You know, you'd you'd have taken part in some hugely entertaining fixtures, qualify for the playoffs and narrowly miss out and get promoted. People said, oh, that would have been a good season. But again, for us, because of the standards we set for ourselves, that we, there's a sense of, oh, if only, if only, because the reality was, if we'd have scored one, two more games or scored mm -hmm. one, we, we could have been there or there. Yeah. But to answer your question directly, the, um, 
the, the run we had, we, I think we won nine out of eleven, kind of yeah. quite early in the season. That was a great run to go on because those runs don't happen in Korea. You know? Teams that simply doesn't happen. It's, yeah. it, we can talk about the, the kind of state of Korean football in the moment, but one of the reasons they don't happen is because there's a competitiveness across all the leagues. You know, there's a real, there's not the huge. You know, people talk about Spanish football being the best league in the world potentially, but I would argue in Spanish league that you you could predict most results most weeks. Now you get the odd freak result. The Premier League is quite competitive. You know, bottom teams can beat mm. higher teams, but in Korea, the gap between the teams at the top and the teams at the bottom is not huge. It's not big. There's no real gimme rubbers. There's no games where you're thinking that's a nailed-on result. You know. Um, so in terms of specific highlights. Um, Congratulations to FC Seoul and got promoted. We, we beat Seoul 5 one early in the year. So it shows how close we are in terms of where we could be. That was a great game, you know. Yeah. From a personal point of view, the highlights that I have are the things that happen behind the scenes because I'm in this game to to help players reach their, their potential. You know, that's why that's why I'm involved in the game. I'm in this game to to to, to be to create a profile for myself. I'm in this game because I like investing in players and improving them. You know, and and you look at people like Mingyu. No one knew who Ju Mingyu was mm. last year. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. Even fans of his previous club at Gyeongnam probably didn't know who he was. You know, no one knew who Ju Mingyu was last yeah. year. That's a lad who now is, has scored twenty five odd goals this season. Has been seen by three and a half million people on YouTube scoring goals like James Rodriguez in the World Cup. Yeah. You know, that's a lad who's potentially changed his life over the course of the season. And being able to play a small part in helping him to do that's been great. That's been a real highlight. Um, we've given debuts to twelve lads who've never played professional football before. That's a huge highlight in terms of investing in young players and hopefully creating a, a, a pool of young players that can go on to do great things in the game um, and really just having the opportunity to be involved in building club. We'll, we'll never get our first year again yeah. we'll yeah. never get that so every everything was new everything was the first you know it was the first first home win first away win you know first FA Cup game all those things were great you know and and although we're disappointing actually we're about a week or so away from our kind of last game now and actually even within that time you, you take a chance to settle back and reflect on it and say there's been some great stuff this year you know, great stuff um, and yeah for me the highlights of the stuff that happens behind the scenes particularly so I guess obviously you mentioned Jimmy Ngu just now yeah. and probably if you ask Elan fans they think he's probably the player that's really emerged this season but from Absolutely. your point of view is there another player that you'd like to highlight saying over the course of this guy's really improved a lot and he's really come on yeah great question the, um, I think two two players or let's say three players that I think are worth keeping an eye on for next year particularly um, uh, Yong Ming Wang is a lad who came into us from university as a centre forward, um, played in our development games, six foot, six foot two, big, strong, powerful, quick, archetypal, almost Premier League footballer physically from what you see him. Came in as a centre forward. Um, Martin made the decision to try him in some other positions for various different reasons. He ended up playing, I think, 15 games for us, give or take. He played some of those games as a holding midfield player, some of the games as a fullback. He's a player I think has got a huge ceiling on him. Uh, huge upper limit. He'd be a player I'd be interested in watching. I think he's got the potential to go and play the national team. Um, he's not not at that level by any means now. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but that's a player who I think ticks a lot of boxes. I think he's, he'd be a boy that worth keeping an eye on. Um, another lad uh, who, who made his debut right at the end of the season and scored was a guy called Joe Hangi. Uh, another guy, Hangi, who came out of university, um, central defender all his career through university. Again, similar thing, been playing as a centre forward development squads. Made huge progress this year. Um, only played a couple of games in our first team. Even our fans wouldn't really be aware of him yet. But we um, we laugh. We, we call him Zlatan. I mean, that's his nickname. He's not obviously nowhere near that level. But physically, he looks like he's six foot three. You know, fit as a butcher's dog. Big, strong, powerful. Um, can you, dominant in the air. He's a player I think is going to go on and do good things. And then people that study Korean football, uh, we sent a lad out on loan to Maipo in the um, in, 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 in National League. 
Um, and he went out there, scored 10 goals in 16 games, got MVP in their league final. Their, their team won the league this year. Yeah. He hasn't played for our first team yet, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the loan system. We can talk about the structure of football in a moment, but I think lads playing in competitive, meaningful games is huge. You know, So there's one of the criticisms in the UK at the moment is too many young lads are getting lost in the system at the top of it, You know, not getting a chance to go and playing games that mean something. Right. That's a boy that's gone and played in competitive yeah. fixtures in the National League, in a good level league with some good players in it, albeit not big crowds, but has played in the team that's won the league and gone and scored 10 and 16 and picked up the MVP. You know, So those would be three lads particularly I think are worth keeping an eye on. There's other boys as well behind the scenes that we're quietly confident about. And, and one of the things we've got to balance carefully in career is that there's, there's elements of, of players' characteristics in career that, that, we, that haven't, they haven't got elements of, of things that you see in players in the UK that actually they need to have in order to actually go and push the envelope mm. and make that next step. And, and one of those characteristics is, is that confidence. You know, we've all, we've all grown up in the UK and seen the most average pub player go and he bowls in on a Sunday morning, yellow boots, all the gear, who he thinks he's Ronaldo and he's, got yeah. no, and he's got nothing about him. But the daft thing is, is that every now and again he does something special because he thinks he's Ronaldo he's got a rhino skin yeah. you know, I, I am Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. you know, but the flip side is that sometimes it's a self-fulfilling prophecy you've got to have that, that self-confidence in yeah. the UK I've worked with lads that are absolute bobbins I mean they've got no ability whatsoever but you speak to them they're talking themselves into the Ballon d'Or you're thinking oh my days how are you getting that award yeah. but that confidence often is a prerequisite for actually making the most of your talent and whereas in, in Korea where we're dealing with players that are far more talented in my opinion and we can talk about the contrast between English players and Korean players in a moment but one of the characteristics that doesn't seem to be there as prevalently is that sense of either a quiet self-belief which is what you're really looking for or that brash confidence which you see in other lads you know yeah. neither of those things really seem to be there and actually we could talk about whether that's cultural or, mm. or what, what that might be in a moment but what you don't want to do is load too much pressure onto lads. So, for example, Mingyu now has done great this year. 25 goals, unbelievable kind of performances here on the verge of the national team From if you listen to press reports. Next year, he's not an unknown quantity. People will know him next year. Right. Yeah. Now, that's going to bring with it a different challenge. And our, our job as a coaching staff is to help him continue to make progress, continue to improve. Because the exciting thing about him and other lads in our squad is that he hasn't reached his ceiling yet. There's a lot more we can do physically, technically, tactically, physically, tactically, uh, technically, psychologically to help these lads push on again. You know, yeah. so that's going to be a different challenge for next year. Was he carrying a knock at the end of the season? Um, sort of dropped he, to the bench and. No, and I mean, there's, there's always wear and tear that creeps into, of course, the season. So I mean, certainly, there's no doubt that teams had figured him out a little bit, yeah. were more aware of him. So you look at a few of those games now, early on teams were recognising what weren't really aware of what his strengths were so we're giving him the opportunity to go and do some special things right. they just became a bit more aware of, of what he was about which made it a bit more difficult for him um, and there's no doubt that any, any season where you're playing as a lead number nine effectively you take a batter in you know yeah. in, in any league in the world I've, I've played a couple of games there myself you know and you take a batter in year in year out so no he's, he's a lad who's contributed great for us this year and we're, we're excited about the progress he can make next year yeah. just, just while we're talking about specific players I mean, yeah um at the beginning of the season, you had like an open trial where several yeah. hundred people came along, and you end, oh. up, you end up signing one guy. I remember uh, two, two players. Two. Yeah. Uh, did, how did they work out over the course? Yeah, one, of the season? one of them was Yusung, who made his debut towards the end of the year and scored twice at the end of the year. So he, when we signed him, he hadn't quite finished his military service. So we signed him. He trained with us for pre-season and had to go back and complete his military service for three months. So he only rejoined us and was able to play from the middle point of the season onwards. So he's yeah. made good progress. Um, and the other guy was Cubin, who Cubin's been out on loan this year. Um, again, making progress. To, to come out of an open trial into a professional football club is 
unheard of around the world. That's one of the things that Elam's done fantastically. You know, that that caught people's imagination. If only you'd got KBS to film it all. Well, potentially, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> it's funny. We, we missed a trick there. No, exactly. Yeah, and it's funny. People talk about that game a few times. You know, and there, there were some good players in that team. You know, there was, yeah. you talk about. I mean, they were competitive. I mean, they played some. They played some games out in Europe. I think on a tour, and they played against the MLA, uh, an all-star team here. And obviously, we played against them a few other teams. But there were some good players, and that that is testament to the depth of the talent pool in Korea. That, I mean, we were there also a couple of Sunday Sunday public Cristiano Ronaldo's as well? <laughs> um, you'd have to ask the guys working the coaching staff. I, I said if there were, I didn't see them, but there was a big squad. You yeah, know, there so was that. one guy who, like, who was sent home for injuring, almost breaking at the guy's leg. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was in <coughs> training, and he right. they were competitors. They, they were right. I think they were both strikers, and yeah, he went right through him. I, I looked as if it was on purpose. Right. No idea if it was, and, was and, uh, and, and sent him home. Yeah. No, I mean, I've got to take my head off to take, take my hat off to that, the KBS kind of broadcast yeah. crew for that, because that caught people's imaginations, and that was a good project. And that showed there was a huge, there's a huge interest level in Korea. Korea is a, a huge market. You look at the World Cup in 2002 that we chatted mm. about earlier on, you know, that was one of the best World Cups in terms of organisation, and it caught people's imaginations. It was there was a real there's a real interest in sport here in Korea. You look at the the crowds they're getting for the baseball. You look at the atmosphere they're creating some of the basketball games. There is a knowledgeable um, set of supporters out there to tap into within Korea. What we've got to do within within football and play our part is to say, are we getting everything right on a football point of view? Because attendances are low, you know, stadiums mm. are empty, uh, and we've got to do a better job. And that's not. A criticism of any any individual organisation or person. Say so we, as in fans, players, coaches, yeah. administrators, we who are involved in Korean football have got to tap into the interest levels in Korea and find ways of elevating the profile of the game because the quality of player over here is unbelievable. People yeah. don't realise that. And I've seen first-hand Premier League players and players in the Champions League. The, the quality of player over here is high, and it's a deep talent pool. Korea. I've got the potential to be a top ten nation in the world internationally. They're they're handicapped to a certain extent by the FIFA coefficient in terms of playing in Asia. They've got yeah. to play against teams that are very low ranking. So even if they win them, it's half them to boost their coefficient. Yeah. And so, but the flip side is teams that are in top ten, top twenty don't want to play South Korea because they know they get beaten. And if they get beaten, it affects their yeah, coefficient. Right. So yeah. what I was really excited to see was that we broke in the press a few weeks ago about potentially South Korea playing some friendlies against a couple of European nations next yeah, year. Yeah, Scotland, 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 and Holland, Holland. Yeah. So that's going to be brilliant because all, all the well, it's going to be great. I'll be there by killing. Oh, yeah. so what, what's, what, what's going to be great? Hopefully, those—I mean, they'll they, be friendly games, but hopefully, they're televised. I hope the European teams know what they're expecting to come over it because they're, they're coming across to play against a good team, you know. And last last time we played South Korea, we got, it was 2002, and we could right. beat 4-1. Right. Four one. So I mean, they hopefully if Scotland come over. Uh, they'll, they'll come over with a oh, and, 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 and even Holland. I mean, Holland have been have had a difficult time last few last few months in terms of their qualifying campaign. They're coming to play in a country that loves its football, albeit there's things mm. we've got to do better. Has got a deep talent pool, and they've got a national team that's got the potential to be top ten in the world. You know. And speaking of Scotland, uh, just if you can shed some light on on, on the rumor that at the start of the season, uh, Sean Maloney was offered to you guys. And you knocked him back, is that correct? Uh, is that a rumour? Uh, not a rumour I've come across. Um, Maybe when yeah. I started. Ah, okay, okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so you're, you're uh, there was supposed to be like a, a Scottish internationalist, I heard, okay. who, who was offered. Right, okay. Uh, and Martin had a look at it and uh. thought he was too injury prone, and the kind of rumour was that it was Sean Maloney. Right, okay. I, I'm, I'm guessing that, that rumour was wrong. I think, I mean, Martin's looking at all sorts of players, you know. I mean, he's. one. one one thing, I mean, for me, the last 11, 12 months working, the one thing he has got is a good eye for a player. You mm -hmm. know, I've, I've worked with some pretty high for o profile managers who have made some pretty poor signings. You know, actually, Martin's got a good eye for a player. 
people shouldn't underestimate the difficulty in assembling a squad of 30 players when you had nothing. There was no structure yeah. in place, no scouting network, no networks of coaches you can pull on, no existing relationships with university coaches and club coaches. So for the staff that were involved in building the squad, and predominantly Martin with the help from one or two other guys in the front office, you know, he hasn't missed on many. You know, the 30 players or so that we've had around things this year, there's not many that you'd say actually aren't on the right level. So, yeah, I mean, it, Martin's always looking around the world to try and find players, you know. But well, am I going to give you a definite answer on confirm no, no. or deny? No chance. I'm going to straight um, back your way, you know. But. That kind of brings me on to a second point then, that you said that there's not many that have, uh, that have kind of, that he's got wrong. Aye. Um, they, uh, they we've noticed that at, at the games, they behind the dugout Aye. you have like three bicycles okay yeah, yeah. Uh, is that to give Ryan Johnson something to do during the 90 minutes that's a disgraceful comment <laughs> um, I, I can honestly put this on record now and say that Ryan will be the first to admit that things haven't panned out the way yeah. he hoped it would this year and, and from the club's point of view it hasn't panned out the way he, he hoped you know, he's a lad who if you look at his record over the years you know, performed at a good level in yeah. the MLS for a number of teams had played in Asia for a mm. year in China in a team that was battling relegation but he'd played very regularly there and contributed positively you know. he'd be the first to admit that it hasn't worked out the way he hoped what I can say and would say on record is that I cannot speak high enough of him as a man in terms of the way he's conducted himself. You know, I've been away, been around a lot of lads mm. who things have gone against them or not the opportunities they were hoping for and they've become hugely disruptive yeah. and conduct themselves with real a lack of class. I, I can't speak high looks. enough of him. Well, I'm not going to comment on individuals there. <laughs> but but I, mean, I, I can honestly say that the way he's conducted himself, yeah. he's not missed a day's training. He's, okay. he's been a real positive role model for the younger lads. He's conducted himself with real class. So, yeah, it's been disappointing in terms yeah. of the on-field on stuff. But... It's testament to him as a man, the way he's gone about his business this year, really. I mean, they, do you think, because he, he worked with Martin at, uh, in Vancouver, yeah? Um, they didn't work no. together. Carlisle Mitchell had worked with, oh, um, Mitchell, yeah. Yeah, with Martin okay. at Vancouver before. Martin had, had competed against uh, Ryan a few times okay. in MLS. So, so Martin knew what knew, knew the kind of player yeah. he was. And, but again, you look at even some of the best managers in the world. Look at Alex Ferguson, for example, who people hold up as being one of the greatest of all time. You know, for every Eric Cantona he signed, there was a William Prunier or a Cleberson yeah. or a Eric Jemba Jemba. And I don't mean to disrespect to those three players because yeah. they've gone on to make a career elsewhere, but the, you, you try and add as much science into the recruitment process as you can. It has got very scientific, but ultimately it's an art form. You know, yeah. and, and it's you can never guarantee how a player's going to pan out until they actually get in your building and you start working with them. You know, so. um, but yeah, like I say, testament to Ryan, the way he's conducted himself this year. Um, I think they get, I mean, obviously that we talked about, you know, they... Like the highlight of the season, yeah. uh, I guess you know. Like, what would you say was the, the kind of lowest point of the season? That, that was it, like not, like not winning the league. That was it, not you know, like getting promotion, or was it you know, like maybe like some like the, like a particular match or something that you think was, was a yeah. I think the thing for me that as I said earlier, the reason I'm in this game is, is to help guys reach their, their genetic potential. And we can't put in what God's left out. You know, you can, the old cliche: if you want to be a hundred meter sprinter, you pick your parents carefully. Mm. You know, so. But, but what we want to do is help lads reach their potential. And when you see lads falling short of what they're capable okay. of, ultimately that that burns you as a professional because you want every lad to be successful. You want every lad to go off and, and be the best they can be. But ultimately, every year, certain players fall short of that. You know, and that's that's always a disappointment. Um, in terms of the specific incidences within the season, um, one lad for me has been a disappointment. We signed the lad quite late at the end of pre-season, a guard Shinil Su, who came with a high reputation, mm. be on the edge of the Korean under-23 team. He arrived with us injured, um, and has never really recovered from that. So he's really he's, he's only been available for about 30% of our games this year. So, although we've had very few injuries and worked quite hard to minimise them, he's a lad who, if you ask me at the start of the season, who are the boys that I think could go and play in Europe? I'd have put his name on the table at the start of the year, and I still will. 
because he'll come back and he'll and he'll, yeah. he'll he'll go on to be a good player as far as I'm concerned. But that's a guy again, defensive midfield player, six foot three, great range of passing, short and long, smashes into a tackle, dominant in the air, has got good vision as well. That's a player who actually ticks a lot of boxes now. In terms of that, that's been a specific disappointment for him in the mm-hmm. sense of he wanted to go and establish himself as a pro. He was a lad who was on the, fr- the fringe of the 23 Olympic squad, you know, and, yeah. and maybe still will qualify for that. Who knows? Although it's going to be tight now with, with the 2016 looming in Rio. But um, that's a boy who I think we've got high hopes for, but he's been a sort of disappointment in terms of him not reaching his potential this year. Okay, um, obviously, they, you... As we discussed earlier, that you've worked in both Scotland, you know, like, and in England, ah. you know, and you've come here. Then what do you think? Like, like, what are like, the biggest differences? Like, in terms of, of those kind of three leagues, like, what do you think is like, the biggest? Yeah, good question. Yeah, um, uh, people have asked me this a few times to compare the two. I think I'm, it's been fortunate for me because I've actually had the chance to work with some Korean lads who came across the UK as well. Yeah. So we had Kim Dion at West Brom, who was obviously a high-profile player who's still playing here now. Yeah, so now. Um, and then obviously. Um, Keeson Young at Celtic as well. So, in terms of direct comparison, the technical ability of players here in, in Korea is as good as anything I've seen. The, the lads will take a ball under pressure, will play sh- short passes at a high mm. level, they're comfortable with the ball, they'll manipulate the ball. I would, I would say the quality of that technical ability here compares very favourably to players that in it within the Premier League, you know, certainly top of the Championship, bottom of the Premier League in terms of that level of things, if not slightly higher. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's not just within the, the, the top of the, the Classic League, that is, there's a depth of that. If you go and watch university football, university football in Korea, and you compare that to university football in, the, in Scotland yeah, or yeah, the UK, yeah. I mean, albeit it's a different system, but it's night and day. I mean, the quality of what you're seeing is huge from that point it's of view. It's more like American university football, isn't it? Oh, it's a high level, honestly. The, yeah. I mean, yes, you're right in terms of the... the up to now, this year will be different, and we can talk about that in a minute in terms of now the draft system's been abolished, but up to now the draft system's been a part of the progress towards guys becoming professionals. The result of that is the quality of university football's been a lot higher as it is in the MLS. Um, but it says, speaks to more of the testament of youth team football. You go and watch young lads play, yeah. and the way that the under-15s and 13s and 12s play, that, that the technical level of ability is very high, so that's the first thing. That compares very favourably. Um, the mentality of Korean players in terms of their work ethic and their appetite for learning is far superior to players in the UK. I mean, they are desperate. They are, they are desperate to learn, desperate to improve, wanting to get better every single day. So that's a real positive. Um, aerobically, so the ability to cover ground for a long period of time is very very high. You know, there's a real high level of conditioning in the sense of guys can go all day long at a, a, a set pace. The two areas where there's a real in, in, obvious difference from my point of view. One what we touched on earlier which was the confidence issue yeah. and that is huge. You can never underestimate the top end of elite sport just how significant the, the, the brain is in that and that, that sense of self-belief. We talk about you've got to be rhino skinned and rocket fueled if you want to be a top end athlete. You know, you've yeah. got to have a skin that says there's nothing you can throw at me as a fan, as a gaffer, mm-hmm. as a teammate, as a punter that's going to get, get under my skin. You but know? the fans here don't even get, get on their backs that no, exactly. much. <laughs> but but there, there is a, there's the hierarchy to the system where senior players will they won't pat you on the back when things are going well, but they'll pick you up when things aren't going well. You know, so there's a sense <coughs> of young lads having to deal with that certainly. Yeah. But the second area where there's a real detriment or real deficit, as far as I'm concerned, is in the explosiveness, in the sense of if you look at the game across the world now, it is the explosive moments that win games. It's someone that has the ability to burst past someone and get on the end of the cross, or a defender's got the ability to go and accelerate those five yards and put a block in you know, a goalkeeper that can explode up and make a top quality save yeah. that explosiveness is lacking in Korean football and tied into that is when was the last time you saw a Korean player 
go off on the dribble and beat someone on the dribble 1v1. When, when do you see a winger take their fullback on 1v1 in career? Yeah. It's so rare. And you look at the stats to back it up as well, but you look across the leagues, there aren't those difference-making players who are saying, give me the ball. I'm going to take my fullback on all day long. Give me the ball. I'm going to run at a centre-half. Centre-halves hate running towards their own goal. I was getting centre-half in the world, even the quick ones. They hate facing their own goal. You know, How many times do you see someone actually say, I'm going to kind of take you out of the game on the dribble. I'm going to try and commit. And if I give the ball away, it's not the end of the world. If I do lose it, it's not the end of the world. You look at someone like Lionel Messi, the best in the game with it. You look at his success ratio from his dribbles. He loses not far off as many as he wins in terms yeah. of the success rate. But what has he got? He might might lose the ball three of his first four dribbles, but he's going to keep taking it and keep trying it. And that those are the guys that get people off their seat. You, when yeah. you go and watch a game around the world, going right the way back to Scotland, you look at Jinky Johnson in Scotland back in the 60s, and I'm, I'm from London, you know, so I, I grew up on, on my dad's kind of stories of Chelsea from the 60s and 70s, of people like you know, Charlie Cook and Bobby Townsend, and guys will go and take you off on the, on the dribble. It's those players that excite you. you yeah. know? There's a great quote on Sky Sports a few weeks ago, but I'm sure you probably saw it, you know, Jamie Carragher talking to Gary Neville saying no one grows up wanting to be a Gary Neville you know no kid grows up wanting to be a fullback yeah. no kid grows up wanting to be just an average 7 out of 10 player they all want to be that difference maker in the UK but here huge loads of defensive midfielders that will shield the back four and keep the yeah. side to side lots of guys that are very tidy passing lots of guys that will be very organised in the shape but how many could you, could, could you put five names on the table for me now dribbling Korean players Probably not, to be Probably honest. Not. Now, again, why is that? Is it genetic? Of course it's not. There's no reason whatsoever why Korean players couldn't be some of the best technical players in the world because they manipulate the ball beautifully. What is it that's stopping those players from taking the full back on every single time, running at the centre half, trying things? Well, there's a fear element to it. Yeah. What happens if I give the ball away? Am I going to get screamed at? You know, is the coach going to slaughter me for this? You know, the fan, you're right to say the fans aren't going to jump out of their seats and get on the case because that's not the way the fans are here. But there's a fear factor for that. Now, there's no doubt there's a lack of confidence in terms of trying that. Now, we said to, we, one of the things we all really work with our lads is, listen, for certain players, not, not Carlo Mitchell or centre half, you know, we don't want them dribbling, but in certain specific, specific areas, you know, take them on. You know, yeah. take a, try a little trick, try a step over, try and do something that gets people out of their seats. And if you do give the ball away, we won't eat your lunch for that. You know, we, we're not going to give you a rocket for that. Try it. Try and be creative because that could be the difference between elevating Korean football from being ranked 48 in the world at the moment becoming a top 10 team you know that could that could be the the, the difference between 7,700 average fans in yeah. the classic league this year to 20,000 fans in the league, league watching it you know the, I can understand one of the criticisms of Korean football if we're honest before I came here people say very well organised very disciplined boring yeah that's the yeah. phrase I heard before I came yeah. here and people have been here a long time still say that now but there's no reason why it should be there's no reason and for all the mistakes we've made this year I come from a 4-4-2 English background. We ain't conceding goals. That's my mentality. But we've conceded 60 goals this year, and that rank was me. But we scored over 70 goals in a league where everyone says no one scores goals yeah. in Korea. No one wins games more than one nil. You know, look at the average goals scored in Jumbo this year. Won the league 1.6 goals a game average. You know, now ours is almost two. You know, now we're not saying that we are better than them. Of course we're not. They just won the classic league and go deep in the ACL every year. But can we be a team that does things a little bit differently? Can we be a team that says let's be entertaining? Not Kevin Keegan, Newcastle, 10 years ago, where you score four, we <laughs> score five. Not yeah. that. We, we know we've got to tie up defensively because that's been our Achilles heel this year. But can we play a part in creating players that play without fear? That say, every time I cross that wide line, doesn't matter if I'm 19 years old or 39, I'm going to express myself to the best of my ability. 
And if you've got a few players like that, fans will come and watch. Yeah. And the crowds will start to increase. And the national team will start to set up and take interest. And TV companies will take interest, you know. Juming Gu scores a goal where he 25 yards out, takes it on his chest, pivots, drills it in the top corner of the volley from 25 yards. Three and a half million people around the world see that clip. Teams, it's, lead, it's a lead story on the news in Brazil. The Daily Mirror back in England put it on their website, you know. Right. That, th there's an opportunity to really do something special here. There really is, as long as we take the fear out of it. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's something that, like in a few, you know, like in Iran games that I've actually been to and right. seen. And I I'm think sure you'll come to more next year, won't you? Of course, of course. Uh, and I think, I mean, especially if I think back to the... We'll make a deal. Every time you listen to a podcast, <laughs> yeah. it goes to an e-link. Oh, I only shake hands with that. That's fine. The more the merrier. And I think back to one game in particular, and that was Martin's birthday. Okay. Uh, the away game in Goyang. Yeah. Uh, if you ask Stevie, you're a ah, fan. Yeah. It was 4-1. It was actually 4-2. <laughs> but anyway, um, but that's what happens when you've been drinking sake all morning. <laughs> um, and I think that game, it was probably more... Like most obvious that every time someone got the ball, they were just shooting. That, huh? You know, I was just like, yeah, there was like no, they didn't seem as if you know, like oh, if I shoot and I place it over the bar, he's going to scream at me. He's going to scream at me. It was like, and I think that was a big thing in the middle of the season Aye. about you guys was that you were scoring these like thirty-yard goals, twenty-five-yard goals. That you, you were shooting from like everywhere, which was something that I think was unusual uh -huh. um, and then I think maybe other teams then realised okay we have to close them down uh -huh. way more because they were given too much space because yeah. you know in, in Korea you very you quite often see you know like midfielders getting so much space you know like, uh -huh. like the defender backtrack 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 yeah. and when they tackle them on the 18 yard box yeah teams sit very deep do you know Absolutely. what I mean and, yeah. it's like, and I think that's like a big sort of thing yeah. but I think you guys they really exploited that but you know you, said, you, I mean, you guys watch a lot of football so you, you experience that but you know Yes, sometimes nil-nils can be really fascinating games. Mm. I've been stunned nil-nils where you think, that's a, that, was a real, that was a chess match of a game. Yeah. I'm glad of that. But the games you remember are the games where there was entertainment within it. There are games where you're thinking, I can't believe he did that. That trick he pulled out, yeah. and the wide man put a ball in, or that goal that he scored there. Those are the memories that you chat about in the pub afterwards, or on the train on the way back, or in the UK, you go into work and you chat with your mates about it afterwards. And that's the stuff that people remember. Yeah. And this is a, an entertainment industry, ultimately. You know, let's, not, let's not get away from the way the game's gone. You know, it's a sport that I love. It's a sport that I, that I take very seriously. It's a business behind the scenes these days. But it, people in the UK, and in Korea, anywhere in the world, work hard, Monday to Friday, Monday to Sunday in Korea. You know, they yeah. work really hard. They put their hard-earned money into coming to watch games to, to, as a release to say in the UK to sound off and scream and shout at a stranger without yeah. getting arrested for it you know but in Korea to come and be entertained to come and have an experience you know so I think we have a duty to try and, and, and bring that into the game mm. because because the cliche it's a beautiful game it is a game that we enjoy wanting to be a part of we all grew up wanting to be players and wanting to be involved in the game and when, now that we're older we still want to go and watch games because there's always something that brings you back you know? there's always something that excites you in a game you know and, and yeah certainly that's something we tried to bring into our lads this year absolutely uh, obviously, based on what you're saying here, you've got possibly quite a different philosophy towards coaching and management than maybe the career managers have. But of the other teams in your league, is there another team that you think that's sort of f philosophically close to you? Or um, Yeah, I, mean, I think the whole concept of philosophy is an interesting one because there's a lot of talk around the world now about what, what is a manager's philosophy, what is Pep Guardiola's philosophy, what is Jurgen Klopp's philosophy, you know? And, and I think what's interesting is that I like to take ideas and study other sports and, and business and, and, and kind of military things and try and see what you can take from that. But if you're a, a commander of, a, of an army, for example, you're a general, 
you might have a preferred way of, do, of doing battle, but ultimately the way, the approach you're going to take is determined by the terrain that you're fighting in, by mm. the resources you've got available, by the people you're fighting against. You know, to say what's our philosophy, if you like, mm. I think football's got a little bit caught up in saying this is how we do things. Actually, you have to adapt to every situation, you know, in terms of what is in front of you, what, what have you got available, you know, what's the, the challenges you face. In terms of the direct question, who else have we been impressed by? Although we were desperate to go up ourselves, I'm really pleased that FC Sion have made that step up to the Classic League because, firstly, that's a team that was in the National League three years ago. Yeah. And I'm a yeah. huge fan of a pyramid system within football. I think that there needs to be relegation and promotion right the way through a system and to give that sense of competitiveness to games. You know, we can talk about the split in the Classic League in a moment if you want. I'm a big fan of relegation and promotion. I think that's, there's a lot to be said for that. And for whatever reason, I understand why there's difficulties with that in career, but it's great to see a team there that did well in the National League, applied for Kayleigh Glass and got one and have now made a leap into yeah. the, the league and the way they play and they, they do play slightly differently. That, that is a team that will press you, that will yeah. try and play high up the pitch, you know, that is prepared to try some things. So whilst it's said through gritted teeth, uh, congratulations to them and I'm pleased that they've made that decision to go up because they've got a lot of good young Korean players and then Korean core as well, which mm. is great as well. They don't, they don't just rely on foreign players to be the difference makers, you know. So um, yeah, I'm pleased for them, pleased to go up obviously gritted teeth obviously but um and again watching the classic there's some teams it's what the exciting thing in Korea is that every year Korean teams go deep into the Champions League every year last eight last four finals mm. and something every year Korean teams go deep because the quality of the game here is good so the opportunity for any team is to say it's not unrealistic to be in the classic league or challenge league in one year and within five years to be at the deep competing deep in the Champions mm. League. Now, if you looked at a, a team in the bottom half of the Championship in England, for example, or a team in Division 2 in Scotland and said, you know, in five years you could compete in the top end of the Champions League, it's just unrealistic. Yeah. You know? But the, the, that opportunity does exist in Korea because the Korean teams traditionally do well. If you can get your, get your structure right, your infrastructure right, your foundation right, and you make the right decisions, there's an opportunity there, you know, which is exciting. You mentioned it about the split in the Classic. Um, I mean... This is the second year in a row now that you know that the team, you know that they get team from the challenge. You know, as one, you know, like a couple of playoffs. Yeah, yeah. You know, they then went into the two leg playoff against right. the classic team. Yeah, yeah. And has then they like, knocked out the classic team. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you think it's down to the fact that the challenge league actually has competitive games all the way up until the end of the season, whereas in the classic after the split, I mean, Pusan were playing for nothing. I mean, like. There was no chance of them really getting displaced by Dejan. Uh -huh. uh, they could never catch like um, Guangzhou or Jordan yeah, yeah. or whatever. So pretty much like, those last five games were just like right. training games, yeah. Whereas Suwon uh, were playing, you know, like, they were playing actually every game, first place, yeah, yeah. second cup place, cup after cup final. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, do you think that that may be why they actually got through um, so like, pretty easily against Busan? To be perfectly honest. Oh, yeah, I mean, my, I mean, I can speak from being, having been in the Scottish League, but they had a split in Scotland as well, so I yeah. can speak from first-hand experience there. I haven't been in the Classic League here, so I can't really speak for that. But this is just my opinion; it doesn't really represent Sol Eland or the KFA. But I'm not a fan of split because yeah, I'm just not. I just don't, I don't necessarily understand the value of it. Really, um, I think that you're better to have a playoff system. Um, but, but bottom ends where it keeps things exciting. You look at the championship in England, the second tier in England, for example, you know, right the way through the year, it's very rare you've got dead rubber games at the top or the bottom. There's generally every single game right through to the year got mm. something resting on it, and that brings with an intensity to the game as well. So I'm not a fan of that. Um, I actually, although people might criticize, I actually think the, 
the playoff system in the Challenge League where you reward teams for finishing higher up the league in terms of home field advantage and the advantage if a game is drawn, mm. although it yeah. worked against us this year in the sense that we drew with Suwon and they progressed because they'd finished third and we finished fourth. Yeah. I actually like that idea because that's rewarding you for finishing higher up the league yeah. table. So in rugby, for example, in England, often you can finish fifth in the league and win the league. Well, actually, that can't be right, you know, yeah. and that was the case in Korea a couple of years ago yeah, when yeah. you could finish fifth and actually be league champions. Well, that, for me, the league champions should be the best team over the course of 40 yeah. games, and so I, li- I like the, the playoff system within Challenge, Challenge League. I like that, but I'm not a fan of the split personally. Yeah. I'd also like to see a pyramid system in, t- in the sense of the quality in the K3, the quality in the National League is good. Whether teams would want to make a jump to the K League with the financial challenges that brings, especially in the current climate with two or three teams looking really under threat for next year, yeah. Yeah. I think that. The pyramid system really helps with that, and what's been it's good to see is I think for next year the KFA are partnering with the Korean Korean Council for Sport, and that's going to bring with it hopefully some streamlining in terms of central governance for, for amateur football teams around the country. So I think that will help um, one step certainly. But yeah, I'm not a fan of the split person. Yeah, yeah but being a, a Celtic fan, I'm not. Yeah, I mean I think the split in Scotland is a is a, is a farce. Oh yeah, I um, it's a terrible terrible system.